Judy, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking Flemish Kiss Pale Ale with Bredonomyces. That's what it says on the bottle. From the Commons Brewery. And another Oregon it doesn't beer? have oh yes it does. Here we go. It's a Belgium. Um or oh wait a minute. It's a Belgian. No, it's not a, I don't know, it's not technically a Belgian. Right out of primary fermentation, this beer is decidedly a pale ale. But as it enters secondary, a bridge to Belgium is built with a dose of Bredonomyces bruxellinus. What that? <laughs> I, I didn't read this at the store. A five-week maturation results dry, fruity, hint of floral Brett character that will evolve over time. Southeast Portland. And it's definitely not a winter beer, but uh, uh, I definitely need to transition into something more wintry because it is definitely getting to be winter here. Um, so this is probably the last pale ale or IPA or whatever I'll have for a while. But uh, it smelled. I, I, haven't, I haven't sipped it yet, but it smelled really good coming out of the bottle. So... Anyway, looks looked really interesting. We'll see. How about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking Chimay Grand Reserve. <sighs> the blue, our favorite. Night. Yes, the uh, which uh, there is obviously no description or anything, but it's uh, yeah the Trappist ale. Um, this is actually really really fruity. Oh, I'm sorry. You yeah, never mind. I, I the interrupting. It started already. Hey, that means we're on a we're doing a show. That's cool. Right? That's right. The live show. <laughs> so, but it's uh no, it's a uh, it's it's uh, you know you you've had it. We've we've okay. talked about it on the show before. It's it's um I don't know if it's my favorite. It may be my favorite beer of all time. It's so I'm enjoying it. And I have another bottle. I got it. I actually found it on sale at the local store, and I almost bought up like thirty bottles. But I was with Megan, and I just decided. Uh, uh, my Megan, the eight, my eight-year-old, and I was like, I don't know if this is going to look good if I walk up with twelve bottles of Chimay and like a box of crackers because that's really all we we went for a couple of small things. So, so I decided against it. But uh, well, no. you need the crackers to soak up the twelve bottles of Chimay, obviously. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I I made a parent parental choice instead of a beer geek choice, but. It's excellent, and I am enjoying it. And I have a second bottle in case this conversation goes long. But I don't think uh, I don't think we have Aaron on tonight, so I think we're good. No, not quite. Um, yeah, well, I know how to shut up. <laughs> that. Well, I have a seven fifty as well, but I'm probably not going to be drinking the whole bottle because I still have a fuel goal to meet and a new running jacket to try out tonight. So hey, you get right. you get fuel points for stumbling, right? <laughs> that's true. And you know, with the three-way accelerometer, I'll get even more for falling. That's cheap. Why didn't I think of that? It's brilliant. <laughs> I get more points by being drunk than by being healthy. It's all that hmm, that would be something to test over time. So, who is this that's like giggling in the background? I, I don't uh, know. I, who did we invite? What was the deal? Um, wait a minute. You said a name earlier. Was it Megan? That rang a bell. Yeah, that's Megan. That, that may be it. <sighs> Megan Bo, Megan Bo is here. Hey, Megan, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. What you drinking? I am drinking um, the Fear Imperial Pumpkin Ale Flying Dog Brewery. Nice. See, that's a good wintry beer. Yes, it sounds like it. Pumpkin. Yes, and it's very terrifying. Let's put the picture on the front. 
And Megan, could you um, introduce people, tell people who you are? Yeah, so I um, work at Rustacy Software on mainly on talking about the Tin Can API, helping people figure out what it is, how to use it, data strategies, things like that. I also um, have run a number of unconferences this year, which we're running again next year, mainly up to all of us, which Brian did some awesome on. And I have some kids, and I do a lot of other things. I live in New York City. There's that. What's the temperature in uh, in New York right now? It is probably around in the 60s. Yeah, so it's not cold yet. Um, yeah, yeah it's definitely too- colder here than it, either one of your places. Brian still had the air conditioning on when we started this call. Yeah, it was 87 today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and I think it's like I said the uh, I think the cold front's coming in tonight or early tomorrow. But yeah, it was like I went for a bike ride with the kids and I was like, what the hell? Like this is really hot and it's October 25th. This doesn't make sense, but it's it, it is Texas, so whatever. <laughs> You know what? The weather actually is really going to change for me on Monday. It's going to get very sunny and dry and warmer, uh, significantly warmer, um, about Monday afternoon. So that that's going to be cool because it won't be so rainy for me anymore. Except you're <laughs> not going to be in Vegas. Because you're not going to be in Vegas. See, we're supposed to have a hurricane here on Monday, so that should be interesting to make it to Vegas. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Hope you make it. Yeah. Um, so actually Megan you've just been doing some traveling you were at uh, uh, Maisie I was at Maisie yeah how was that tell us tell us what you were doing what was going on so I was in Maisie's 30 under 30 program which um, had a number of interesting people (laughs) Um, we actually got to spend a lot of time with some of the thought leaders from the conference where, you know, they'd set up special, you know, breakfasts or lunches where we got to spend some time and ask questions of people we wouldn't normally get to talk to. Um, We also, you know, outside of that, I got to spend some time with some interesting people like Tom King, who was at the start of SCORM, and I sat down with him for a while and talked, and Richard Culotta from the Department of Educations. Um, He's the deputy director of technology there. Um, and a few other people that I was just really fascinated to get to see and meet and spend some time with. You've been doing a whole lot in higher ed these days, haven't you? A little in higher ed, um, more in K through 12 recently. Just, you know, they have, there's a lot of data standards that are coming out in K through 12 and people are trying to solve, you know, the mystery of common core and getting data systems between schools to talk. And so there's some interesting projects that have come out that I've kind of been stalking lately, like the SLC, which is the Shared Learning Collaborative, which is a Gates Foundation initiative that looks at standardizing kind of the completion of Common Core pieces and also the administrative data within a school. Um, I was at one of their SLC camps last weekend, actually, and got to meet up with, um, you know, there's startups that just show up there, like a guy who's building a bank of formative assessments. So not only do you have a bank of content that can be delivered, but you have a bank of formative assessments. They're much more squishy and 
mm-hmm. they give you more interesting data back. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm totally going down the rabbit hole here, so feel no, free to go, stop me. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so, so Chin Camp kind of makes up the pieces that are the middle points between starting work on a common core standard and finish at the end. And because there are so many tools and applications that could be brought into any classroom scenario or that a teacher may, any student could be using that they may share with their teacher, there's a lot of pieces to be figured out around how to um, label that for which standard it belongs to in order to make sense of it in a way that the teacher can suggest the student has accomplished the skill they need to. Um, and for them to be, for any reporting interface to really make sense of it. And then there's also the concept of Mozilla's open badges is floating around K through 12 a lot right now. And mm-hmm. that's another interesting, you know, symbol of accomplishment to add there. And you may, you know, in an interface, you make it a badge for finishing a common core standard rather than a line of code with dot notation that's really adorable to look at. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if if corporate had these kinds of, like, if everything were a system, system if everything were structured in corporate, it would be a lot easier to look at that too. But I feel like there's some models we can explore in through 12 and try and get those two move up as some more communities of practice build out, you know, for the aviation industry, medical, et cetera. And they figure out what the data pieces are important to their industry in order to make more sense of the data that's coming in from different tools. So Megan, and it seems like that's something that would sort of need to happen if like the vision of Tin Can is, um, or that's something that can facilitate part of the vision of Tin Can. And we were talking with Aaron about once that like where you have portability from company to company, you know, it wouldn't, ne- it wouldn't be necessary, I guess, for there to be common standards, but it would be helpful. Yeah, it, the thing about Tin Can is that you can put a ton of information in the statements and it's great if it can move, but if it's not easy for the reporting interfaces to ingest and understand to make sense of in a report, it takes, it's going to make it a lot more work. It's going to make it harder to use. It's going to bring in a different kind, but the same kind of complaints we have about SCORM now, which is, you know, there's really annoying pieces that you have to deal with over and over again, because this guy was talking about this, uh, you know, this test for maybe it's about learning about lighting. So this guy referred to the lights as fixtures and I referred to them as lamps and that guy referred to them as kittens, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That guy, he's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of crazy. We like kitties. (laughs) (laughs) Like kitties. So there's there's definitely a lot of pieces where it's right now it's so small scale, you know, we have 25 adopters and they're all working very well together. Everybody communicates a ton. We're all, you know, sharing data and all that. But once it starts growing, it starts moving and people are doing it everywhere and they're, you know, the army's going to do secret shit with it and the marines are going to do secret shit with it. And there's going to be all these pieces that are going to make it really hard to understand. Um, plus, when you think about companies like, uh, it, in my view, a company should allow their employees to own their data when they leave the company or on a regular basis, some way that the employees can own proof of their experiences and accomplishments. 
So when you get to, um, you know, Apple having boy working on the iPad 12, they're not going to want that data to go out until, well, probably never, but they don't want it out definitely until that iPad is out. So there's a lot of concerns about how you keep the data like that internal to the company, but also the person can carry some proof that it's a really amazing work on a brand new device. So the, you know, taking your stuff with you, right? What, what are this, uh, is that what you guys, the personal data locker? So, I mean, and then uh, is that what you guys are calling that? Is that what's coming? Yes. Can you talk about that? (laughs) I can talk about it. (laughs) So we're building out the personal data locker as a way for people to collect, um, that data from applications that are making statements about them. And the concept is that all of those applications share to one place, and then the person can identify themselves and verify their identity, and they can pull in their chunk and continue to receive statements that come in about them. So next week at DevLearn, um, we'll have this hooked up with Tapestry, with Curator, with Knowledge Guru, with a number of other adopters who have built demos or prototypes or in Tapestry's actual applications. And some coursework and things, too. But as people go through and use all of these, all the data, the, all the statements that come out of them, they'll be able to see in their personal data locker, along with some graphs and some badges. And it's very much a prototype. It's very simplistic right now, but it's the first step in that direction of giving people a way to collect what they've done. Are you seeing any adoptive com- adopting companies right now that are actually into the the personal data locker thing? Like, what has the response been? I mean, I, I only I guess I only ask it in that way because um, I have seen a lot of initial skepticism about that idea. Um, but what what have, I don't know what is the response that you've seen? Um, well, I have seen. The- from my perspective, I'm talking to a lot of vendors who are happy to share data with their users. Now, sure. I don't spend a lot of time talking to the corporations who may want to protect that data and keep it away from people. Hmm. Yeah, or let people take it with them to another company that might be a competitor or something like that, just for instance. Right, and that's definitely something that people are going to have to start accepting because there's going to be demand from the bottom up. Yeah, in that realm, and no matter what we build, it's going to come in many different forms. Yeah, and even we've seen it in you know we've seen it in medicine where people want access to their medical records. We've seen it in many places where there are people saying, you know what, that actually belongs to me. I did that stuff. Yeah, Um, I I wouldn't, and especially since uh, since you're doing a lot of stuff in K through twelve. I thought that you might be interested in this idea. I saw some stuff uh, the other day on um, kind of the idea of, especially under a certain age, we should not only have access to that data, but be able to sort of select out, select what we share, um, select what even exists still in the in the uh, database. And I kind of like that idea. And I was also thinking about the, the comparison to... Um, to an online or a, a, a digital uh, health record, because I know with when with Google Health, for example, when it did exist, 
um, you could opt out, like you could take certain things out of your file if you only wanted to share a certain amount of information with any third party, whether it's a doctor or whatever. Um, you had the option, you had total control of your data. Um, and I mean, I know that people can say, that of course, there are, there are bad things that can come out of people keeping information away from their doctor, but I still feel like it's the, their choice, you know, and I kind of feel the same thing, the same way about like something that shows what's happened in your head or what you've achieved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's a really interesting kind of frontier that we're on in that, in that sense. Absolutely. And I, I really agree with you in that we should have control of what gets shared out about us. It shouldn't be up to the application providers to decide when our data goes to somebody else. It should be to the individual. Right. So in, you know, a lot of, so true in corporate, you a lot of in your work environment and that's done with behind a firewall within the internet and they may never let you have that data. I would like for them to, but they might not do it. Yeah. But still, everything you're doing outside of that should go into your data locker, and you should have absolute control of when that gets shared to somebody else. Yeah. And if you can get the things from your employer and put them in there, that also should be totally under your control. There's no reason that, that should move without you saying, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to Tom King at Maisie, actually, and he was telling me about the data privacy laws in the UK and the European you know, collection over there. And they have a view, they have that view where you can't sell a database without getting the permission of every single person who is identified in that database. Right. It's very, so they're very afraid of Americans having, because of the Patriot, Patriot Act and things, they're afraid of their people's information being in databases over here because they don't want that to move without the people having a say in that. And I think that's a model we really need to be following. Well, that is a concern with just, for instance, any global company (laughs) 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 that does business in Europe and Asia and stuff like that. The data privacy laws are very different, especially in Europe. Um, Go go ahead. uh, So um, I guess I'm just in your, in the last, you know, six months with, with Tin Can and, and its progress and the calls that you've had and things like that. What, what's been the, the feedback from over there or from anybody else about, you know, contesting that or, or discussing it? What's the, you know, is there anything going on with that? Are you getting any feedback from, from people on calls or anything like that? You know, there are definitely concerns about it on calls, but there's not anybody fighting it specifically right now they're not condemning tin can because they're afraid of something and it's mostly because it's it's you know the spec's still in beta it's not that much of a force in any specific place and it's really about the designer saying what data points are important it really shouldn't be we're tracking everything a person does just to track Right, right. There's no point in going super granular when the only thing that's important is that, you know, they read this one paragraph and interacted with this other thing. So the designers really need to get in and get looking at the data and their interfaces and what means something to them. 
Um, no, that is actually a really good point about the design because we're already seeing some some tools that come out that um, – and see how I just equated design with tools there? Mm-hmm. Um, so – no, 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 but my – You're fired. No, I'm, keep going. No, but, but, here's my, but here's my point, but – I'm going to stick a big old butt in there. I thought it was and. It was like, yeah, yes, and. Oh, there's a difference. There's a mathematical, grammatical difference between butt and and, and this one is definitely a butt. Um, so what the f- point was I even making? See, now you just made this an explicit episode. Um, um, no, there are, for example, tools that are utilizing Tin Can that do track every single action. That That's the only way to do it. And that... I think differentiates using a tool from designing the experience and designing right. the achievement. Right. Right. Is what I was trying well, to. And make. I would, I would argue that throwing some stuff into a course isn't as far as one could go in learning. A lot more that we could be doing, and because it's opened up by Tin Can. I think we need to rethink what we put where and why. Absolutely. I don't think probably anybody who listens to this show would would disagree because our listeners are very smart. <laughs> I have no doubt. Certainly, like our last six guests or something that have come on have, have pretty much, we've been hammering that point home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so anybody that's not listening at this point is already checked out anyways. So. Exactly. That's my- <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, but no, I think, you know, so here's the deal. Like for, from a designer perspective, the, the, and we can, we, I'm not going to get into Ruben's definition of an instructional designer versus some, you know, an accidental or whatever else, but we need to raise awareness, right? So that it's, it's, Hey, look, what, what tin can may enable, um, and it's not going to be perfect for everybody and it's still a beta and there's lots of things to be determined as to what it actually is and what it does and all those things. But what it may enable is you to, the the ideas that you've had in your head or if you're you know if you're really a good designer and then it's like oh it'd be really great if we could do this oh but you know we can't really do that within these constraints it could open that up right so that you can build almost anything whatever your idea is don't don't delete it from memory right put it on the shelf and and keep it in you know keep it there so that when when things become available and tools actually or processes or whatever else to to code you know um make it easier for you to develop something that you have an idea for um leveraging tin can then that's when you'd pull that back in that in that idea so that that's where i see some some huge value maybe not this year maybe not next year but down the road I have to say, even like uh, I've done some blog posts that that have kind of apologetically started with "I'm not a hardcore developer," but as I've been playing with it, and it's it's not really all that hard uh, to to generate something that makes or, or to make something that generates ten can statements. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it's you know um, it's not using uh, Articulate Studio. I mean, it's not the same as that, um, but it's not not as hard as. You guys might think who who haven't tried it yet that it sounds really intimidating. It's not that bad. I haven't I haven't done any full fledged development with it yet, but just you know, the learning how to do it is not terrible. And I think Restacy is providing lots of great tools around that too. I have to say, I'm trying I'd like to help people. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, whatever we can think of that would be useful and helpful, like the statement generator that came up and it was like, yes, we should absolutely put that out there. Just give people a way to make yeah. something real quick, make sense of it, because the actual doing is way more important than talking endlessly about a chunk right. of JSON and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's how you learn what it's capable of, you know, just hammer mm-hmm. out some ideas, try to do it. It's really, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's a definite point to be made back to the tra- people tracking everything in the, you know, any good advertising agency or web marketing agency is tracking almost everything on their site that you're doing anyway. Right. So people are recording this data already whether or not you want them to. So it's definitely about choosing to take the higher road really thinking about what's important to you and to the person and to the person you're serving with the data that you're generating from what you're delivering to them as a learning experience because that is a service model well and i think that that it's important to note that a lot of that isn't necessarily personally identifiable much much of it is i mean especially if you're signed into something then it is but um some of that is not as personally identifiable, and that's probably part of the concern. But the part that uh, of that that I where I thought you were going is that um, this is already this kind of data analysis, collection and analysis is already happening in so many other areas of our business that it's probably time that we step up and realize some of the intelligence that we can gain um, right. if we and, and I do and you know, I do mean step up because it's not. Um, it will require us stepping up our game. It's not the same as what we've done before. Yeah, I mean, you can go learn a ton about teaching people about something and engaging an idea from the marketing department. Absolutely. Let the marketing department go write a training program right now. I bet you'll have people way more interested because they're going to go do way better research on the people they're trying to deliver it to. They're going to put in the things they want to hear to keep them involved in it. Megan, you're kind of stepping on my Ignite talk right now. <laughs> I, I, hey, and I think you walked sorry. through mine already, so. The, but the, do you do, I'll just do my Ignite session right now. Do you guys? <laughs> yeah, do you mind? Hey, absolutely not. Practice. We're good. But no, the, the marketing tie-in thing is there. Is there's it's like it's 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 um it's sort of almost like a duh moment. You know, it's like what what the hell have we been doing for the last 20 years, right? Yeah. Marketing has been doing this shit for, for, for a long time. <laughs> and, you know, the, I've had lots of conversations about this with a few, unfortunately, it's a very remote, you know, few people in the learning industry that get the tie into marketing. And it's like, hey, you, you know, you're just trying to change behavior, right? You're just trying to get somebody to do something different or something more expensive or whatever. Um, and it's, it's changing. It's changing behavior, motivation, those types of things, and we've we've been missing that for way too long, right? So the more right. the more we can align with what marketing is doing or whatever in you know with learn analytics from. or whatever, whatever, yeah, you'll learn from definitely, um, and learn I, learn what not to do, obviously, right? I, um, the the better, and I I just you know, the encourage people to go talk to other industries, right? This is what we've talked about this several times. We should have a show specifically about talking to <laughs> other industries. 
every show. It is every show, but I don't know that I don't know that I'd say that like that what we do is just like can entirely be co-opted by the marketing department because I would like to say that or I would like to think that at least someone in our field is bringing in ideas of cognitive science and such um, but and I don't think we're always trying to achieve the same behaviors and that probably has um, some some differences in how we approach it but but I do think that yes it, you know in general they are trying to affect behavior change they do know a lot about how people think they do know a lot about analytics um, you know, we, we've gotten into this a few times, and um, and they have a lot. And they, more and they money. know about how, they know a lot about how to engage as well. And right. uh, yeah, that's a lot of what we try to do in in different training initiatives. So yeah, so and they, I, I think my point is just to, to leverage what they have because they have a lot more money and they have a lot. Well, more, there's that. They have a lot more data that we could leverage, but instead of just you know, instead of doing our own thing over here, you know, leverage what they've already done and, and learn from it. And it may, you know, again, it may be good or bad, but learn from that and then adjust accordingly and do, um, but you know, you could definitely leverage what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think copying and borrowing and replicating things from marketing and advertising are, would be a good place to start. I feel even more strongly that we need to be, enabling people to find their own paths even more because yes. we can tell them like marketing wants to tell everybody that they should want a product we don't really want to tell everybody what they need to learn and we end up with a bunch of robots and you know sort of the greatest of people so we want to get people to engage in their own future more and i feel like this is what is the big buyback to that personal data locker is people need to be more reflective and think more, more metacognitively about what they've done and why they've done it and where they're going. And I would love to use, you know, for somebody to say, okay, this person clearly needs this thing and apply those marketing concepts and other ways that they've hooked people in to engage them in that way forward. But I don't feel like we should define all of the paths. Yeah, no, I totally agree with, and and again, just really, really infringing on my on my. I was about to say TED Talk, Ignite Talk, right now, but um, uh, <laughs> but there's a yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm skipping the devil and I'm going straight for the TED stage. Um, <laughs> um, but I think that there's a really interesting interplay in what we do between helping people find what they need to find and letting them be self directed um and you know what what is our role and all of that is all of that is shifting and changing right now and um and then it's a, a much more complex relationship is being enabled in part by tin can by other technologies um and it's also being brought about by i think users expectations learners um expectations because the world is changing and so you know it's just a it's it's causing a really dramatic shift i think in our in our uh industry um from you know people have to take this course um so i'm going to you know May, try to make it as engaging as I can, but at the end of the day, people have to take it, and that's it. You know, it's just I don't think it's that way anymore. And and this is not about millennials. I think everybody is developing different habits and different expectations based yeah. on how they use the internet. Yeah, mostly. we're all getting very used to personalization, and yeah. we yeah. need to make sure there are pathways for the different ways that people want it involve themselves in right something. absolutely yeah and I, I like what you said uh, bringing you know we we still have a role in bringing good information and the right information right to right. them 
but letting them, you know, learn in their own, um, their own, at their own time, learning at their own pace, uh, whatever device they want, you know, things like that. This the idea of like responsive, you know, learning design and different things there. Um, but, but we still have a, a role in bringing that information or, or making that information easier to find or exactly. easier to digest in different formats yeah. or whatever that ends up being. That's and where the design comes in is absolutely. how do we design it for all of these people in so that they can access it and they can find it and they can learn from it. And, and supporting that, like Megan was saying, supporting that metacognition and helping people um, sort of own their own development. It's, it's a very exciting time, baby. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I would love it if the learning department sat side by side in the operations department and, you know, watching people actually do their job and saying, okay, I know of a piece of content that exists that supports this, put it there. I know of another piece of content, put it there. Like, just lining those things up so it's easy to recommend and suggest. Just that little step is huge. Yeah, you know, I mean, that has some companies are like that and i've seen a lot of companies that tend to kind of go back and forth um like that's how it was initially and then maybe the training department got kind of centralized to make it more you know consistent and professional and whatever and then it'll switch back in a few years um you know and i think that um i think that in a in some ways i really agree that where um having the right content, having the little bits of content at the right time is more important than all of the training courses using the same template. You know what I'm saying? That yes, that does really make more sense. And I think it is more sort of the future. It does not say they have to sit right there, but that they're more embedded with the business. Well, and even that they're just tagged to the business's vocabulary so totally. that you're speaking the same language of the person who's going to search with that term. Totally. That's that's a very good point. That's actually, my company has, has undergone that shift in the last few years. Um, and I think that's something that, that my boss and his boss will talk about a little bit at DevLearn. Um, and that is a difficulty, especially when they've brought in people like me from the outside who have never sat in the business. Um, so it is definitely a cultural challenge to um, to learn the business and to learn the people and the, the terminology, like you said, and, and the culture and every every part of it. Yeah. And I mean, you, I don't love controlled vocabularies, but they're useful at times. Like in information architecture, I much prefer for it to be open and smart and intelligent and just know, you know, it's smart. But it's really hard to get there in a good well, way. I think it's just sort of part of knowing your audience, you know, the vocabulary that they use. It's just, I don't think there's anything wrong with adult, adopting the cultural of your, or the culture, I can't even talk anymore, the culture of your audience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But when I, I think Nike, you probably have this problem where, you know, not every country even uses the same terms no matter how they get translated there's all these different pieces that have to fit to make sense of something you know there are challenges and it's about the, the accessibility of things it gets harder and harder the bigger it gets that yeah that's one of the reasons seeing those challenges like that is one of the reasons that i've gotten 
even more bullish on um, using machine readable language rather than plugin technology, you know, for all of that to be inside the code of a web page, to be machine readable, to be semantic. I'm starting to talk like Ruben now, but <laughs> um, semantically understandable. But but yeah, I mean, because when you start to do scale whatever you're doing to different languages, different geographies, different, you know, devices and stuff like that, it becomes incredibly important. Yeah, I, I think one of the best pieces of advice I forgot when I was starting out trying to do, you know, UX design and business analysis, all these pieces at startups where you kind of do everything, no matter what the title they've made up for you is. <laughs> yeah. And somebody who told me, you know, no matter how you design it or what you design it for who, they're going to figure it out and use it how they need to use it. And it might work for them, it might not, but they're never going to, they're rarely going to use how you specifically designed it. And so it's very much about designing for the unknown and open-ended possibilities in everything we do. I'm sorry, I just got distracted by a tweet. You'll see it. I thought Twitter was closed. It's on my phone. Are we, we going to call out call out the, the culprit here? Well, it was Aaron, of course. Well, yeah, because he, he wants to extend the damn show so he's not the longest-running show ever. I, just saying, that's, we had two it. guests, and it wasn't as long of a show as Aaron's. <laughs> but um, he, just, no, he just wants to be in every episode. Right. Um, really? He's just trying to commandeer. You know, you should just call him and bring him in. Like, he really needs it, apparently. I'll just call him out on Twitter. Here, you guys continue the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, you know, we'll we'll see if he picks up. Are you really? Oh yeah, why not? Why the hell not? He's probably okay. drunk. Just spontaneous. Well, then he'll fit right in. Spontaneous, whatever. <laughs> he get another beer then. He should be. He's drunk. not gonna answer. He's he like what? Dead. He's not gonna answer. It's all good. Yeah, he didn't answer. It's all good. But now he's there, being scary. <laughs> In this interface. <laughs> <laughs> this terrifying interface of gradients of you know, blue and the black. Mac, Mac interface used to be so much better. And then I think at some point Skype realized that their two interfaces were completely different. And they made both of them like the PC interface, which was vastly inferior. But that's yeah. what they did. Tell us what you really think. I think that's... No, the... You know, the it, if... So... What I'm curious about is we, you know, Skype's been around for a long time now. I don't, I don't know how many, but years, but a long time. And there's not a, there's not a strong competitor. I mean, you know, you've got Google, Google Chat with voice or whatever, and you've got Hangouts, but beyond that, what you know, I'm I'm surprised there's not a small, um, you know, sort of disruptor tech company that's kind of come out with a hey, let's let's beat the snot out of big Skype now that they've been bought by Microsoft. Well, what, I mean, what, what doesn't have a voice? I mean, AIM has a voice chat. Um, what is like, I, I haven't even used this in years now. I chat, um, on the Mac. I mean, yeah, I guess it's it true. like everybody has a voice chat. It's just, they're not any good. Although now Skype isn't any good either. We, we've had problems, especially when we have guests, when we have more than uh, two people on the call. Um, we have, a lot of problems and we're looking for a different option by the way if anybody knows of any that just 
we don't need a lot of features, but we just need good, solid, predictable bandwidth. Um, listeners, let us know. Well, it's worth trying out OVO. I don't love it, but one of the charter schools I was working with used it, and it was a cyber charter school for Pennsylvania, so everybody is scattered totally across the state, and they loved it way more than Skype. I've yeah. only used it a few times, Spell but it's that. worth checking out. O-V-O-O. O-V-O-O? Okay. Yeah, I don't cool. love the interface more than Skype, but it's worth trying. Right. Well, and that's like, the you know, in, in we've we've looked at maybe doing Hangouts or, or just Google Chat with voice, and then um, there's some gaming platform, um, you know, co-op type stuff that, that is a lot leaner, I think, that may work. But I don't know if a, a lot of those don't run on Macs. So I know well, you found that. Well, but... sort of my, my um, go-to from back in the gaming days is Ventrilo, and it's Mac or PC, but with guests, they would have to have, they would have to download a program, which it's not incredibly hard, but it just seems like a lot of overhead. Yeah. Um, I'd like something web-based. So, yeah, anyway, still yeah. looking. Moving on. Yeah, um, so the Skype interface, awesome. Yeah, yeah. right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, that was totally the... So, so talking of, of interfaces, so like, so Megan, I, I'm just, you know, you, we've got the Ten Ken stuff. We've got, um, obviously, DevLearn's coming up next week. Um, as far as, I, I don't want to call it, well, maybe I do, progress. Like, progress in the field, progress with software, with tools, with... Um, other technologies, not just Tin Can, or things that maybe are playing with, well with Tin Can, that are enabling us to do more things. Um, what's the, you know, what are a couple, or what are what are what do you see happening in the next six months? What what's the positivity that's coming out of you know what you guys are doing? So you're asking me to predict the future. Um, yeah, why the hell not? <laughs> there are, I mean, there this are is a, why not? Why not? Yes. Why not? And also, Let's she's a unicorn. Future. Yeah, yes, exactly. So if, I mean, shit, you know, there's, why not? Ruben DM'd me last night and was like, I want this visualization for Devler. And I'm like, do you know what day it is? <laughs> Actually, though, that, that brings us to something I'd like to talk about, but we'll come back to it. We'll put a pin in it. Okay, well, we're pinning that. So there uh, is not a... the same. <laughs> well, you could, we could certainly pin my question because it obviously doesn't matter. So if you want to do the unicorn thing, that's cool. Go for it. <laughs> Always the unicorn can pin it with its horn. I was going to say, like, <laughs> so you don't even need a pin. You just need the unicorn, which is Megan. Back so we're your... using Megan. I don't. I'm lost. Whatever. I... Are you dressing up as a unicorn for Halloween? Is that what we're talking about? Do you want me to? <laughs> I can't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, you really continue with your question. It's cool. It's or Megan no, continue that, answering Brian's question. Yeah, yeah, I don't even I'm just curious what anymore. what what's positive. What's the um whether it's it's tools or or um you know code you know code stuff that other people are doing or just whatever what's what's the highlights what what do you see either happening now already like we've got Tin Can Alley next week at DevLearn um so I'm sure a lot of people will report out of that but you know what's the what are the trends what do you what do you see happening what's um what's uh making you happy <laughs> The things that are making me happy. I like that question. Yeah. No. Um. <laughs> so the big exciting thing for me at this version of DevLearn or this version of Tin Can Alley as compared to the M Learn version 
is that there's so many more people playing in the space. There are other LRSs, which is hugely important. At MLearnCon, we only had Rust as the LRSs, and a spec will die if there's only one person who can build the thing that it's supposed to be. So the fact that we're going to have a bunch of different LRS providers there is awesome. And the fact that talk proves the power of the portability. Right. So that's really big for me. Also, just the fact that this is this never happened with SCORM. You know, SCORM was built, there's a story behind it, but the, no vendor tried it before in a big solidified way before it became stamped, you know? Mm-hmm. So just the fact that we've got a really actually strong community. Where are, we have a mini group set up for the Tin Can Alley stuff we did um, and LearnCon. It actually lasted in DevLearn. And then we've also got the Google groups, the community, the calls who are actually developing this back. It's really solid. People are really trying to help each other out. Competitors are not. So that's the positivity I see is that people are working together to try and build better things. And they see that there's more places to go. And even the people who just implement a squirmy version of Tin Can admit that they it's just a squirmy version and they're, they need to do better. So I really love that people are coming together around this and working on a bigger future. That's very exciting. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Show title? I was just about to say show time. <laughs> Great mind. I, I had another one, but this, that one that one trumps it. Mm-hmm. You know. So because I'm writing this down, and oh, I already I I'm typed not it up. Know what it means. Oh, I, I typed it up already. I'm way ahead right. of you. I do way more work on this show than you do, Jude. It's a, you're so. <laughs> no, that's there's no doubt. <laughs> there's no doubt there. Do all this work so we can sell two T-shirts. Um, yeah. The, right, way more work on the Uptolos website than me too. I have to admit. No, uh, I, I shout out shout out to Mister Early for that because really he's done all the work on that. I've I've um yeah it's it's all all Mister Early. Um, so excited about working with you guys this year on this. By the way, this is going to be really cool. I yeah. love having forty Confederates at Uptolos. A few new people who are like, "What's going on here?" So <laughs> so talk to so. Uh, this this is another thing that I, I did want to bring up is this this um, the experience design and these these unconferences and and the things that you've been working on. What has you know getting away from the technology side and getting away from um, you know ten k and all that stuff? What has that been like for you in the last eight to twelve months or whatever it's been? And I guess twelve months now, right? And um, you know what's what's the future of that? Or what do you what do you what makes you happy about that? <laughs> as a There's unicorn, a lot of happy in that. As, as a unicorn, <laughs> I I mostly frolic in fields where these unconferences are located. Um, <laughs> but the more important thing, <laughs> especially if there's the, a drum circle nearby, <laughs> right? And a fire dancer. We totally <laughs> had a fire dancer at one. Anyway, um, that was totally random, but that was awesome. But. I think the big thing about the unconferences for me is that it represents the model that we need to figure out how to support. So this is about, you know, removing people from their context, putting them into totally, it's like a fishbowl saturated with people from everywhere, 
and saying, here are some interesting points on the horizon. We want you guys to kind of think around these, but we don't want to force them on you. So if you're interested, work with people on an idea that we just sparked with that. If not, go your own direction. Mm -hmm. But when you pull back from that and you say, okay, we had this experience model for this event. This is what we saw people actually doing. These are the things that came out of it. And then we try and add the tin can view into that, where it's like, where would a data point be in that? So if this group came together and worked on this thing, is there a data point there? Is there a way that we can make this kind of learning environment and progressive kind of event relevant in the world of business where we can say, look, quit forcing your employees and all of these people who don't want to do these things to do them and make it much more natural and much more interesting. And you can still get what you need to prove that you're, you know, being a, that you're providing effective programs that you should continue to fund because the funding is the only reason anybody ever does anything in business, you know? I find it really interesting, this idea of, sort of we have to track something that ordinarily wouldn't be tracked in order to actually free up the people in the system. Do you get where I'm going? I might just be a hippie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like you think about, for example, the experience of an unconference that is in so many ways sort of a natural flowing sort of people sitting down by the river sort of experience. Um, And adding, you know, calling that a data point in order to give it value is, in a sense, I kind of resist that a little bit, but I totally like where you're going with it. Like, I understand what the idea is. Making that, you know, giving it a value makes it, makes it, this is going to sound redundant, but more valuable as opposed to Training, you know what I'm saying, right? And it Brian, you're gonna be... edit that shit out, right? <laughs> Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think that there are certain outcomes from an unconference that I want to know where they stem from, and I have these very funny obsessions with things like social objects and constructal theory, sure. where I like to look. At Who does it? I mean. Yeah, no kidding. Like, what? That's like normal, obviously. Duh. <laughs> Constructal flows are the features. <laughs> but, you know, it's about. I really like to look at how a piece of information enters an environment and how it grows and changes and yeah. then where it moves to. I think that is the most fascinating thing to me about all of this. And not that I'm anywhere near solving that or any of that, but just. The idea that we could look at these bits that, like, you bring all these people together in that informal environment. They're sitting by the river or whatever. I don't want to know that they're sitting by the river and, you know, drinking beer. I don't give a, I don't care. I'm more interested in how the information moves and changes and grows as they're having a conversation in more of a cybernetic sense than anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. This is the part where I apologize for going all batshit crazy. For a no, it's all good. No, so they're totally not. 
I can explain oh. the tattoo on my arm with constructal theory if you would like. No, I'm kidding. I won't do it. I would really, I would really just like to know what uh, what the fuck a fractal is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a self-similar object at any scale. Okay. <laughs> Accepted. That's Accepted. Enough. No. Um. So, what's what's um, what's next? What's besides Devlin and Ten Ken Alley and the next week and Motorcycle Mayhem? Woohoo! Um, what's after that? After that, I have to go to Nashville for a week because that's where because that's that's where you work <laughs> for, for a week where you, where you have to play ping pong. Yeah. yeah, I have to go play ping pong for a week. I'm terrible ping pong. They know that, so I don't know why I'm whispering it. We have a, we have a. You know what? You know what you do when you're terrible at ping pong is you make everybody play left-handed ping pong. You know, or non-dominant hand ping pong, or or get everyone or shimay ping pong. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure so, that would go up terribly, Rassasi. <laughs> we have a board for ping pong for recording results that makes tin can statements, and this board uh, keeps track of all of these said thanks for them but tim martin has normal tim martin he has t lefty which is his left hand and he has sticky timmy which is a little tiny paddle uh, oh wait wait. <laughs> wait sticky timmy is little tiny what i i, I lost it at that so all three of these tims are on this board and they're all <laughs> than any hand i have just just to put that in perspective uh, of why you know I think we have to have Tim on the show to defend himself. I, yeah. No, he's good at ping pong. I There's nothing to defend. He kicks everybody's butt. I get trophies in ping pong at work. I just want you guys to know this. I get trophies at ping pong for trash talking. I get wait, a trash wait, talk just for trophies. trash talking? Oh, yeah. So that's like, no that's like the spirit award. <laughs> no, it's a competitive sport where I work. <laughs> It's just not the most athletic, uh, okay. nor am I the most athletic uh, yeah. where I work by far. <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm, 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 I think I'm a ranked trash talker. All right, all right. Yeah, I up athletically at Nike. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's why I don't say that I run or that I'm a runner or anything like that because that's just too bold of a statement where I because yeah um, I wanted to talk about something else though I wanted to come back to something um, and that was about data visualization because yep. I think that that's uh, a real um, sort of obviously where we're going I mean we know how to make the statements the spec is getting pretty close to uh, 1.0 you know pretty much people know what it's going to be in a lot of senses or what it can do um, I don't think that people have seen a whole lot of translating that data into something actionable, something called, or something like knowledge um, in, in the public yet. And yeah. that's not a criticism of anybody. It's just that, you know, it's this whole thing is being done so publicly that, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, we're not seeing this and this yet. But like, Megan, I know that that's something that you're working on. So tell, you know, tell people what they can go see or what's coming up or whatever. So I, I think this goes back to that constant 
context library point where there are a lot of pieces of data that are different across tools because we have so many different adopters. And but there are, you know, we're all working on some basic visualizations that give you a little bit of insight. And every time we draw one of these up, well, every time I draw one of these up, it is this big picture of a specific use case. So getting to like a Google Analytics point where you go in and there are graphs that just plain work for mm -hmm. what you're doing is yeah. still place off because we're looking yeah. at much different data for many different purposes. Yeah. I have a firm belief in like the Tufty point of view that there should always be a question that the visualization is answering. So at the top you need the question and at the bottom is the answer to the question. Right. So it's, I, I, there are a number of people working on it. I know um, we're bringing some very sim simple, but, you know, they surface the meaning of tin can kind of things. And I know Wax LRS is also bringing a few graphs, and there's some other people who are bringing some things. But we're nowhere near the beautiful visualizations that you're seeing out of the artists that are doing these that are the ones that get passed around that people go "Ooh, I sure. want to step for learning mm -hmm. and that's going to take learning people and a lot of data scientists sure and that actually brings me to my next question how far can people go with this without data scientists I think that learning now it became an interview show all of a sudden <laughs> see this yeah. I think that that's on a lot of people's minds, though. That's the kind of thing that I'm saying. We This is going to require a full use of this is going to require you stepping up your game. Not that there's anything against not using it for everything it's capable of. If you're using it for what you need it for, fine, whatever. Um, but I think that um, – I, I don't know. I think that there are a lot of uses of Tin Can that aren't about big data um, and that there are there are a lot that are. And – there, you know, there are people writing yeah. about that concern because, you know, again, when you have the the um, non-designed experiences that are reporting every point, or even if you do have well-designed experiences that are reporting the right points, how much knowledge can you gain? You know? Yeah. There's definitely a lot of those questions floating around, and I would love to have a good answer. My best guess is that I actually think learning people are very, very, very well suited to making sense of data. They're just not ready to jump over the ledge yet. When they are, it's going to be really interesting. Really because they're, they're used to looking at complex situations that they don't fully understand and trying to make sense of them in a way that's not always it's not natural in a human environment but it's a new perspective to it that they try and deliver to somebody else so i now, feel like learning people are ready they just don't feel ready yet and with a little bit i feel like you know learn they need some sessions on data and data yeah, science like right. that's what we need to start doing we need to start putting those pieces out there for people to grasp onto as they're ready right, mm -hmm. yeah hey this is why this is important what you can do with it I yeah. think, that, yeah, I don't know if it's splitting hairs to say, or if you're saying the same thing, but I think that, I think that we could be doing more with it than we are currently capable of 
like we have the ability, we don't necessarily have the skill. Does that make sense? Like we're not. Yeah. yeah. That makes I don't sense. Know that, I don't know that. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things that I'm like, hey, I don't want to call myself a data scientist because I don't want to insult the real ones, you know, but yeah. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. yeah totally. I, okay. I, everything I've ever done, I've been halfway knowing as I'm trying to do it. So I'm always afraid to call myself anything right. because I feel like I'm halfway there and I want to, but I'm still holding myself back because I'm afraid of people judging and yeah. I got sick of people judging at some point. I don't use M- I don't use MBA. <laughs> well, and that's why you should just call yourself a unicorn. Because <laughs> that's that works. Hey, we're all snow on every on every level. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's a big space for everybody to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to put some effort into this and see what come out. It's there. I'm. I'm just waiting for somebody to really come in and be like, "I'm going to own this end of it," and I really want it to be somebody who's deeply embedded in the learning side. For them to just say, "I'm going to figure out the analytics piece of this." And I know um, the learning anal- learning and knowledge analytics groups have done a ton of interesting things, and I've read a bunch of Duval's work and Simon's work, and I've talked with them, and. A lot of that stuff still comes back down to they're looking at end results. They're not looking at formative data that's built along the way. They're looking at what happens at the end, or they're looking at administrative like enrollment data. And I really want somebody to own this piece. And I think they will. But it's just a matter of them emerging. Yeah. So who wants a job? <laughs> right. <laughs> Come on, somebody take it, right? Take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well. So, so I think you were about to say the same thing. Um, Two things. One, I'm out of beer. I'm out of beer. Two, I I want to have a follow-up because we don't want to hurt Aaron's feelings since he so kindly disrupted the show. We wouldn't want to disrupt, uh, hurt his feelings and, and, and break his record. Um, for longest show ever. There's which, no which, chance of that, dude. We're at like half an hour or something. Which this, this very well. I don't know. This very. It, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a lot left to be talked about. That's the only thing I'm saying. Um, <laughs> no, so, definitely. so, conversation. so anyhow. That being said, um, there's a definitely, definitely want to um have a follow up, whether it's like shortly after DevLearn or sometime early next year or after the 1.0 spec, maybe um, something along those lines, it'd be good to, to see, to get a, an update on where things are. And if anybody has taken the ball with any of this stuff and run with it and done something amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm for it. So a toolbar issued challenge to somebody out there <laughs> to do something so that we can talk about you. Yeah, and you can and you can come talk about your work. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if you'd like to collect the evidence of you learning how to do your work in a data log. <laughs> you you know how to you know how to how to how to tell them how to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. We we have options for you. 
all self-identified. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time, Megan. I know it's really late where you are and you've just gotten off the road and all that good stuff. So I really appreciate you making the time. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you in a couple days. Yeah. Just like Devlin or bust, baby. There you go. Except in the case of hurricanes. Uh, You'll you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. That's right. (laughs) All right. See you guys soon. All right. There you have it. 